0: the Hive. Launching new hive sequence. Welcome, welcome to the smarter marketing revolution presented by Hidden Force Media. With your host, Alex Vonderhaar. Welcome to
1: the Hive. Yo, yo, yo! What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode i have a special guest for you today this guy is unbelievable and i know you're going to get a lot of value out of this because i've gotten a lot of value out of him and just getting to learn from him over the last few years uh, my guest today is aaron nash aaron has built a national boutique gym franchise pfit the platinum standard of fitness which in year one of franchising sold more units than any other competitor in his space he owns four multi-award winning locations in Southern Florida generating millions in revenue and resulting in hundreds of thousands of pounds lost in the last five years. You guys, I've talked about my weight loss story on here before, so you guys know uh, that it really is a global pandemic that we're dealing with. Uh, Aaron started a weight nutrition supplement company in February of 21, and it has explosive growth and has already transformed into a seven-figure brand. Guys, this guy knows about branding and marketing, and that's exactly what we're going to get into today. He is also the co-founder of Kids Lives Matter, a 501c3. Aaron helps victims of U.S. sex trafficking. To date, they have recovered and rehabilitated over 100 victims per year. His first book, yes, he's also an author, and if you don't have his books yet, you will by the time this podcast ends because it's both of them are just straight fire. His, his first book, Dark Side Dichotomy, explains how to use the bad things that happen to all of us and turn them into jet fuel to accomplish your goals. There's no fakery, there's no coaching, there's no fluff from him. He's a real business owner, owning, building, and real solutions in the world and on his way to a nine-figure exit. Aaron, man, thanks for being here today.
0: Thanks, buddy. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, man. Uh, the last time we got to interact, we were hanging out with some some big-name people and making a difference in each other's lives. So what, what's been up since then?
0: Oh, man. Um, just – Working, man. It's been a it's been a weird year, you know. My wife and I were actually talking about that last night. It's just been like there's so much good stuff that's happened, but I feel like 2022 has been the hardest year of the last kind of three years. Like if you take 2021 20, and 22, um, you know, which is crazy considering what you just got done saying and all, all the things that we're quote unquote accomplishing, right? I, I still think just from a grind perspective and a work perspective, I think this has been the hardest year, at least for us, in the last few years, where it just seems like there's just so many more fires, so many more hurdles, so many more things going on. So it was cool to be able to kind of lift my head up and talk to you guys for a little bit um, and and see how you've been doing.
1: So on that, as things get more and more challenging, one of the things that you've talked about in a lot of your social, especially your social media content um, is talking about systems in your life that have helped you kind of push through that. Um, You know, having kids, having a wife, owning multiple businesses, What are those systems in your life and what do those look like that have enabled you to continue pushing when it feels like, hey, man, today I could just give up, right? Like you're not saying that you want to, but you're at a spot where you could really just kind of like wipe your hands and be like, yo, I'm done, right? I'm out. I'm done with all the stress. I'm done with all the hurdles. Um, What are the systems in your life that keep you on track for this?
0: Uh, The first thing is marry a woman who loves to spend money. Cause if you do that, you realize that you do not have enough. Um, no, but, uh, I, I think the biggest thing, man, uh, at least for me has been, um, really focusing on, on who you're doing it for. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, and over the last few months, like I, and I know I've talked about this on other podcasts before, but it's been a long time, but I keep a folder in my inbox of emails and messages that myself or members of our team have gotten, um, where we save somebody from suicide or, or somebody had a heart attack. And if they wouldn't have lost the weight with us, they'd be dead. Or some of the things that we found with their blood work or just anything that we've done. That's, that's truly saved a life or altered and changed a life. um, I keep a folder of those. And on days that I don't want to do it, I have to flip my mindset and just kind of say, you know what, if we stop, we don't get these anymore. And how many other people are counting on us to get better so that we do get those messages.
1: It's a lot like Atlas, right? It's uh, the idea that I don't ask for a lighter weight load; I just ask for broader shoulders. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and hopefully not a steep of a hill.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things we didn't or that we didn't have in your bio is is your wine company. And in getting into that, what made you want to go into wine? And you know, with with such a tough market, because there's it. And the reason I bring this up is, one, this is a marketing and branding and advertising podcast. Um, Alcohol is very tough to market and brand, and there's 100,000 competitors, and especially with wine, people label shop. And they'll label shop until they kind of find their favorite, and and then they're all in, right? And then I want to try everything from this label because it means something. So what went through your mind as you began to kind of start marketing and going through the wine industry, you know, like... Just kind of walk us through like what what went through your mind with marketing and branding and positioning and what that looked like for you guys.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we, we, I was a bartender for 12 years. Okay. So I, I didn't come from money. I didn't come from any of that. I, uh, when I was in college, I got a job, um, in a steakhouse. I worked my way up from, you know, being a bus boy to being one of the top bartenders, all the way through servers and everything else. And and it was a steakhouse and a brewery and had a wine shop. And so you didn't need to know a ton about wine, but you had to know enough. So that way you could pair things, you could do things like that. And then when I uh, got out of college and I moved back home, I kind of went from job to job, to job, to job, to job. job, And I constantly always had all that experience. So it was very easy for me to get a bartending job, right? at, at, At finer dining restaurants. And so I did it again. Um, and that was really what I did. So as we got better, if you hear a wildebeest, by the way, in the background, it is my dog. Um, <laughs> he is outside my door, very upset. He's a 92 pound English bulldog with uh, sleep apnea. So, you hear <laughs> that, um, but basically what had happened, um, was we would do wine pairings. We would make the wine list. There was a Psalm who worked there that we would do events with, et cetera, et cetera. And it was always one of my dreams to to really be able to go to Napa but I it was just ungodly expensive and even to this day like if you want to take a good trip to Napa Valley um plan on spending 10 to 20,000 dollars like it's just that's what it is right if you want to go experience some of the best wine the best tastings the best foods etc plan on spending that much money um for two people it just that's how you do it um, you can do it cheaper, but you're not going to get the full experience. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be as cool. So when I tell you it was a bucket list item, it was a bucket list yeah. item, right? But so when we were finally able to afford that, um, I took my wife out there who didn't drink red wine at the time. Um, and I obviously solved that problem very fast. <laughs> uh, turns out she just didn't drink cheap red wine. Uh. If it's, you know, expensive, then she'll drink it. So uh basically, we went out there and we started hearing all these stories from the ownership groups, right? And it was the guy who invented um, fiber optics, the guy who founded Best Buy, the guy who invented the heart stint, real estate tycoons, uh, political, huge political names, just like the, the biggest of the biggest of the biggest were out here, right? And so um, luckily it, it's a huge industry. And I think one of their favorite sayings out there is if you want to learn how to, to go from a billionaire to a millionaire, uh, buy a winery right? <laughs> because it's so expensive and it takes so much money and so much upfront capital to get to the point where you're making money at it, that it's really a long, long, long play. Right. But at the same time, I always look at, okay, well, if it was that stupid of an investment, why are all these really, really smart people doing it? Right. So to me, I always go, yeah, you say that because you don't want me out here, right? Mm-hmm. But so, um, so basically when we decided to do this, we were lucky enough to, we've been out there so many times that, that we have a lot of connections out there. We know a lot of the owners, um, Cause it's a farming community really is what Napa Valley is. It's a farming community with a tourist side. Um, and so all the locals, you know, we, we, we got to know some of them. We got to know some of the the wine tasting people. We got to know some of the ownership. We got to know some of these guys. And we went to another place where um, we were just chatting back and forth. The guy followed me on social media. Um, I followed them. We ended up going out there for a tasting, hanging out, shooting the shit and, it was pretty much like this really cool place where they had seven dudes. The one guy who owned it was a born and raised Napa Valley was making wine in his parents garage when he was 19 and his work is bootstrapped his way up all the way to now. He owns multiple wineries, multiple vineyards by some of the top names in the planet that you would hear that you would know if you know anything about wine. And this dude is a just really homegrown entrepreneur. And so me and the guy, one of his managers, his social media director you know, we're, we're shooting the shit on social media, marketing and managing and branding and all that stuff. And so obviously, you know, my wife was over in the corner drinking angry because we talked business for two hours. Uh, but basically man turned out, he was like, well, oh dude, if you want to be out here, you know, like we have a program that you might be interested in. I'll put you in touch with the owner. So the owner and I started going back and forth. We ended up being able to, um, get into some of the, the best vineyards in Napa Valley to get grapes from, And we got two of our own barrels. So this year we're going to come out with um, two of our own uh, different uh, AVAs. So we'll have two different types of wine, one from Oakville, which is Napa's first growth, like the flagship. So any of the top most expensive wines in the world are from Oakville. And then Howell Mountain, which is probably one of the, if not the most popular, one of the top two most popular AVAs as well. That's out there. So we actually have uh, two different wines coming out this year, that are 100% Cabernet. Um, They've been aged in brand new French Oak from some of the top vineyards. And we built our own wine label around our own brand around it. And we struck a deal with this dude so that moving forward, we can start down this path of having our own wine label and our own wine brand. And then obviously eventually when we move out there, um, you know, then we can kind of turn it into our own, our own thing and obviously make more because you know, a barrel is only about 300 bottles. So you know, we're only going to have about 300 of each wine each year that we can that we can have. And obviously, we're, we're, we're going to allocate a large portion of that to ourselves, because the cool thing with wine is the older it gets, the better it gets. So it doesn't right. get worse. Right. So that's the great thing is the shelf life of the product is is decades, not two years like a supplement. Right. So um, so we're going to allocate a lot of that to the side for down the road when we do open that we always have that inaugural vintage and do some cool parties and branding ideas and things like that down the road, but there will be some available for, for, for public consumption as well. I'll be grabbing a few.
1: Yeah, it's dude. I'm
0: excited, man. It's a, it's a very different process from like when you're drinking wine, just because you enjoy it to when you're choosing wine to put your name on. Right. Right. Like, so it's just two completely different experiences and it was so much fun Um, because when we tasted, you know, after we got through the initial process and we had a bunch of these wines that he sent us to, to try from different barrels and different places, um, I knew it was going to happen because my wife tasted, uh, the Howell and I tasted the Oakville. We both looked at each other and I was like, shit, we're gonna have to do two because she's not going (laughs) to budge in either. So magically lo and behold, here we are.
1: Um, let's talk about your, uh, about KLM for a minute. I think that's, um. For me, I think that's one of the biggest issues inside of America right now is child sex trafficking. It's one of the least talked about because people get very cringy around it, but it's, it's something that can't be ignored. I live off of I-75 in Ohio, which in our area is one of the biggest areas for human sex trafficking, um, specifically with minors. So what made you want to Get into this. Was there a passion behind it that really started this fuel? What like what what started this project? Uh
0: so it was it was two things. So the first was um, me and Sean Henry, the the co founder of, of KLM, got on a phone call back in 2020 when our gyms were closed down, um, and it was back when the Epstein Jisley Maxwell stuff really came to the surface. And so we kind of did a, di- a deep dive on that. And then our next step was I called him and I was like, Hey, man, because you know we had talked every day at that point. And I was like, Hey man, I'm really into this. Like I want to give some money to one of these places. Like let's go find a good place. You go vet these people. I'll go vet vet these people. We each pick 10 companies and go vet them. Um, and so by the time we got back, uh, we were both pretty pissed off because you can go look at the financial statements for a lot of these places. Cause if you're a 501 C3, they have to be, you know, available. Um, and, and so we went through them and, and like, there was people taking 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 cents of every dollar, um, pretty much into their pocket and siphoning it and maybe 20% to 30, 40% would actually go to the victims. So um, we didn't feel comfortable giving our money to anyone. And so one of the options was obviously what well, we could do our own. And, you know, we, we had kind of put out there that we were thinking about doing it. And one of, one of our RTA friends, uh, Amanda got us in touch with a girl who was really into the space, had her own organization, everything else. And and she, sent us a picture from her latest raid um, where they went down in the underground city down in Vegas and um, had found a a, a four-year-old boy who had been um, the doctors assumed had been abused around 30 times um, in a dumpster, right? Still alive. And my stepson at the time was four. And so I just, I remember just like getting off that call and I was just like, visibly angry and shaking. And I looked at him and hugged him. And I was like, dude, if this was my kid, what, what would I do? And I was like, well, I know what I wouldn't do. And I wouldn't be paying my bills. I wouldn't be going to work. I wouldn't like, I would go scorch the earth to find my kid. Right. Like I I would, I would burn everything to the ground. And so what we wanted to focus on is because, you know, everybody right now, The cool thing and the sexy thing is the extraction teams, right? Right. Like, oh, they go in with the guns and they get these kids and they save them and blah, blah. Well, what happens after that is what happens to the family? What happens to the kid? How do they get help? How do they get support? How do they get their life back? How are they how do they get caught up on bills? And so what we what we've done is we've set up a, a program to where we go through and we vet and we work with multiple different agencies that get these victims and then um, they will send us proposals of what the victims need, right? So a lot of these places work totally on grants or, or specific, you know, ways of fundraising that don't allow you to pay for certain things because it's all government funded. Whereas we are 100% private donor funded, so we can do whatever the hell we want. Um, so they will send us proposals and then we will either ask, we always ask for a story with every proposal so that we can send it out to our email list. Um, because we can't post what we do on Facebook because and Instagram because they, they ban everything that we do. Um, and because of the nature and the sexually explicit nature of what most of the victims go through, uh, social media does not accept that. So we do email those stories directly to our users. So if you want to join that email list, it's projectklm.com. We do not sell you anything. Um, there, there's nothing for you to really like, we're not going to spam you. We're just, when we help victims, we send out stories and then that's what we do. And so um, it, it, we've helped, I think to date around 130, 140, 150 kids somewhere, right? Somewhere around there are victims. I should say not all of them are still kids, Um, but anything from, you know, therapy to rent to transportation, to tuition, to, I mean, you Nate, lawyer bills, like you, um, you flights, hotels for for cosmetic surgeries. Uh, I mean, just whatever you can dream of, if they send us a request. Um right now I think our average cost per request of, of approved kids is right around about eleven hundred dollars that we um donate out to some kids. So we've had some up, up to nine thousand dollars. We've had obviously some that are a 300 bucks with stuff that they need. So it just kind of ranges based on the on the uh, request, but that's what we do. And, and the cool thing is, is, is we give 100% of the money back because every single person who works there volunteers their time. So we have about seven people right now who help us and, and they're all RTA syndicate members and they volunteer their time every single week to, to help us, um, vet companies, get victims and proposals and, and, and get everything off the ground. So you know, w- without them, we wouldn't be able to do it. But the coolest thing is we don't pay anyone any money. All of that money sits in an account until we can put it out to the to the victims who need it.
1: Why do you think that social doesn't want to talk about this? I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing a demand out of a lot of social right now, especially with what you mentioned around Epstein and Ghislaine. Um, obviously, the list has not been released yet as of the date of this recording, which is uh, August 17th of 2022. Uh, do you think social is going to change that perspective as the demand of the clientele is going to start to demand more of this come to light and more of these social issues start to become more public?
0: No, um, I, I can tell you this, and I don't want to get too much into it because I I I can just tell you this. There's there's two things that I'll tell you. We have multiple relationships with some of the top names and extraction teams in the industry. Names that you guys would all know if I said what the organization was or who some of the people behind them were that go into these places. There's there's people that if you get too close to, you get a phone call and these extraction people get a phone call and say, Hey, don't fuck with this person.
1: Mm.
0: And if you do, uh, you, you go away forever. Um, they will download child porn on your computer and then go take you and arrest you and take you away for 30 years. Um, we've had judges, we've had, I mean, sheriffs, we've had, uh, political figures that, uh, they just say, Hey, if you go after this victim, you're gone and you will go away. And so, um, when you have people at that level of power, um, you, you can make a choice, right? You can say, fuck you and go after them. And then you never help another person again in your life. Or you can say, Hey, you know what? Um, let's go find someone else to help. And so, you know, um, luckily we're not on the extraction side of it. We just deal with the, you know, with the aftercare. So we don't really have to deal with that, but the, there's hundreds of those stories from every single extraction team. And, you know, you may say, Oh, well, you, you got to go help that kid anyway. And you guys got to understand that um, this, this is a the the industry is larger than Coca-Cola. Okay. They bring in more mm. money than the Coca-Cola company. Okay. So in the industry. So I want you to think about that. So if Coca-Cola has the reach and the influence and the money and the influencers and the leadership and the political um, push that Coca-Cola has, imagine what these people have when, if they outage you on it would destroy everything about you and people would probably shoot you on site. So, um, imagine the pull they have with the people that they have. And and that's all I can say about it.
1: Spine chilling really is. Um, what about your authorship path? You've had two, two books come out, both of which are amazing. I mentioned that earlier um, and everybody should go get especially burned and talking about the coaching space. Uh, what made you really want to push into that? And then what transformations um, within the coaching space, are we really hoping to look for? I mean you and I are both fortunate enough to be in um, the best coaching program out there currently. Um, so kind kind of walk through like like what do you look for with if somebody's looking for a mentor or looking for somebody to coach them through certain areas in their life what what are the big red flags that everybody should be looking out for and then how do you know to go? and dive into a group or dive into somebody or allow them into your life to actually grow you in the direction that you want to grow?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing I would do is, is if you don't want to go buy the book, I put the template, um, from my book. It's directly on my Instagram. Um, it's directly there, Aaron Nash 20. It says burn template. It's the only file that's saved like in the little circle stories yeah. thing. Um, you literally can click that screenshot it, print it out and fill it out. Um, you can do that for free. The book will explain it so that you actually know what you're filling out, but you do not have to buy it. It's pretty self-explanatory if, if, uh, you can use just pretty basic logic. Um, but, but really what we're trying to do and and what I've seen in my space, obviously in fitness, um, kind of goes into the same thing as, as coaching. Right. And so what I've had to deal with is, is people only have one body. And the problem is if you, Trust it to somebody who has no clue, certification, education, or intelligence when it comes to how to utilize that. Um, and you trust them with your money and your body, and then they mess it up. It's not like if they mess up your brakes, you can go get them fixed. Like you mess up your spine, your your spine's messed up, right? Like there's either surgeries or it may never be the same. So um it it kind of stemmed from there. and then obviously in the coaching space, uh, as I got into personal development more and more, I realized that this space was identical, um, except exponentially worse. <laughs> so, um, you know, in fitness, you wouldn't go to a dentist with wooden teeth, right? So, most of the time, if you're a, a mom who did five push-ups and you put fitness influencer in your Instagram profile, <laughs> most people aren't going to pay you, right? right? But with with business and success. You know, you can go rent a Lambo for like two grand a day in Vegas, I think something like that. Like it's pretty cheap. There's a lot of ways that you can, you know, uh, snake pictures in front of really expensive stuff and pretend that you know what you're doing. Um, It's a lot harder to kind of see through the the lies. Um, And I got swindled, you know, by multiple people at multiple big conferences Um, just by buying programs and thinking that, oh yeah, that sounds good. I want to do that. And then obviously what they delivered was nowhere near what they, what they promised on the stage. And, um, I've just been in the industry now since, you know, I have been in Arate since, since day one. And I was in personal development for a couple of years before that and had lost and wasted, you know, probably 50, 60, 70, $80,000, um just into the wrong people and so i had enough experience in messing it up to where i was like hey you know these are the things that if i would have known when i started cool and i also wrote it so there's no cursing in the whole book but I also wrote it so that it could be used multiple times as you level up, right? So it's designed to where if you've never been into personal development and you think you need a coach, cool. If you're just starting out in business, how do you decide what funds to allocate? If you should allocate funds, if it's worth hiring a coach, if so, what are the criteria of the coach? What area are you trying to improve? And it really just tactically gives you a guide of how to go about hiring a coach, no matter what level of personal development or business or entrepreneurship that you're in. So that was really the premise of the book.
1: Do you think that personal development is meant for everybody?
0: I think to some degree, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, you know, I was on a, a, another podcast a little while ago and they had asked me a similar question. Um, but i didn't even discover personal development till i was 27 28 and i hated school and i you know i just wasn't that guy but i realized i didn't i didn't even realize that there was like if you wanted to go learn about something you could like i didn't realize that that was a thing i thought you went to school you got a job and that was it i had no idea that there was you know, books on, on money and books on finance and books on marketing and books on leadership and books on sit. Like I didn't even know that any of that existed. So when I was first given a book to, to read, I was very upset and I was like, I'm not fucking reading this. And he was like, well, you got to do chapter one and you're going to do the talk for the whole team. And so I got through chapter one and I remember getting to the meeting uh, to go over it. And the guy next to me who they had just hired, read the whole damn book already. And I read chapter one so I could do my presentation <laughs> and I'm probably the most ultra competitive human on earth. Uh, so I started reading chapter two and three and I started, I started going, Oh, I actually liked it. Like I'm learning stuff that I'm actually excited about. Like this, this makes me better with money. And then I read the whole book and then I read another one and another one, and another one, and another one. And it just kind of, kind of went out of control from there of, well, if it's something I really want to learn about, I can actually just go learn about it and I can go get better at it. And that to me was just eye opening. I'm sure for most people they're like, yeah, no shit. But for me at that point in life and that age, I had no clue that that was even a thing. And so now, um, yeah, I, I really think that no matter who you are, especially with how competitive the job market is, um, at least, you know, good high paying jobs or or winning in business or anything like the level of competition is so high um, that I think you absolutely have to, if you have any aspiration of achievement, right past, you know, a middle-class life, which again, if that's what you want, probably don't have to, I would probably still recommend some financial intelligence, but like, you know, if, if your aspirations are any higher than just, I want to be able to, you know, have my used truck and my, my little house and, you know, go to work and go home and see my kids. Cool. If you have any aspiration hired that, I would say you almost have
1: to. So within your businesses, what type of personal development program do you typically recommend or suggest? Or do you just say, hey, whenever you come into my business, this is kind of the learning path that you're going to go down, regardless of the position. How do you approach that?
0: Yeah, so what we do, um, so like I'll bring speakers in throughout the year. Right. So like this year we had Martin Rooney, who's a well world renowned coach um, coach of kind of coaches. And in, as far as like um, fitness, right. He's probably one of the, he's like the Tony Robbins of fitness coaches. Um, But we've had Charlie rocket. We've had Tim Grover. um, You know, we've had Ben Newman come down, like, like we invest quite a bit into our team, but I, I think the biggest thing, and this is something that I'm learning even right now is they have to feel the pain of the investment to really get the most out of it. Right. Like it's easy when I'm paying thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month to have a coach um, to get more out of it. Right. Cause I, I feel that it hurts every time that charge goes through. Um Cause that's money I could literally put in my pocket. Right. Right. Like, like personal development money isn't rent money, right? This is <laughs> profit. So people don't get that either. They spend too much money on personal development and my book will help you with that as well. So, um, but basically, man, what I've learned just recently was, you know, you can do this to some extent and it's good and it's smart and it shows your team that you're investing in them and you want the best for them, but they also have to have skin in the game. Right so are they buying books are they getting certifications are they signing up for programs are they doing the things to make themselves a professional that's going to hurt for them to pay for and and those are the people that I will typically invest more in because I know that they appreciate it more so and that's something that I literally just learned
1: i think that's a really big key nugget right they have to be just as invested in their future as you are and i can't think of a better way to stand out in an organization than I I know as running multiple businesses myself, whenever my employees come up, be like, hey, I want to learn this course, I want to learn this skill, my answer is almost always, okay, where's is, is this fitting into the career path that you want? Is this fitting into the development that you want? And if they say yes, I mean it it lights me up saying and seeing that they want to go down and continue to learn as well. Um, but I like that idea that they have to have the skin in the game too. You just can't be the one to constantly be giving them resources if they're not willing to fill their cup with what you're providing to them.
0: Right. And and you know, and that goes, so like, there's some people too, that like they'll pay for stuff and I'll just reimburse it. Right. Like, right. they will be like, Oh, I went out and I did this course and blah, blah, blah. And I learned this, 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 and this. And like, I'll be like, Oh, well dude, that sounds really useful for what we're doing here. And they're like, yeah, I thought we could do blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, Hey, how much was that course? Cool. Here you go. Yeah. Right. Like, so they spent the money first though, with no, thought that they were going to get it back. Now there's some people that we bring in that there's no way these people could ever afford. Uh, And that's the cool thing for me is to be able to say, Hey, like we're bringing in this person, right? Like, like for, to bring in for fitness trainers, if you bring in Tim Grover, there's not like, you can't beat that guy. Right. Right. Like there's, there's no personal trainer who's (laughs) working with better people on planet earth. So like, where are you going from there? But you know, it was cool to be able to take some of my team out to dinner with them later that night. And and they could get some one-on-one time and hear some stories, et cetera. So it was cool um, to be able to give some people s- some extra bonus as well.
1: I like that with your um, with your franchise of Pfit. You have super lofty goals around weight loss and obesity. Um, where did that come from? And what like like what's what's that passion really stem from? Because I've seen Instagram photos from when you were uh, bodybuilding and doing uh, some of these big shows and dude, you were, you were yoked to the gills, man. Um, did it always start out that way? Did you have a transformation of obesity to yourself where you were like, I've, I've got to curve this, or was it just something in society that you felt that you could definitely tackle and go after that big goal?
0: Um, you know, so I grew up and, and my mom was 350 pounds and she was about five, two. Right. So, uh I watched her go through gastric bypass, through multi, multiple herniated disc surgeries, through double knee replacement, through uh, complications that just caused her to literally almost die from some of the procedures that she had. So, um, and, and she's only in her mid sixties right now, right? So, like, and this is all stuff that happened like a decade ago. So she's fifty five. She was fifty five, going on eighty five, right? And so, I've watched obesity really just destroy. Her and and even my father-in-law, right? So he was a cosmetic dentist for 30 years. Um, and luckily he lost 75 pounds on our program, but he had a he had a heart attack. His his father died, his brother died all in their mid-50s from the widowmaker, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, had he not have lost that weight, he would have died. And what's cool now is even with the blood work program that we offer. Um, that it, so people, if they want to get their blood work checked, they can, they can do it. And the amazingness of this product is the cardiologist that my father-in-law had, had no idea why or how, or what, like nothing, no answers. And this blood work, when they talked to the guys like, yeah, well, if they would have seen this, they would have known like, it was just one level that they had. And so now a, he's able to do things to obviously keep that level down. So he doesn't have a reoccurring condition, but also because it's genetic. Well, now my wife knows what to look out for, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, they all know, hey, we got to be really careful with this, we got to make sure we're doing this, we got to do this that so we don't go through this and leave our families early, leave our kids early have any of these issues as well. So, um you know, it, it's one of those things where I've we we've seen enough suicide notes and enough people who have said, you know, I was going through this and I almost killed myself and I was this. And and if I wouldn't have found you guys and blah, blah, blah. And, and you don't need a lot of those, but we have so many at this point that, you know, our cups full as to why we're doing it. Our biggest thing now is there's people out there who need to send us these messages, but we're not there yet. So how do mm-hmm. we get there faster? And that's the goal now.
1: I think one of the, so coming from my neuroscience lens, uh, one of the things that 's not often talked about with weight is the cognitive load that it puts on the brain and the amount of deterioration that happens. You have increased risks of like you were talking about of suicide and that 's more of the emotional standpoint. Your dopamine receptors are all types of screwed up, especially if you 're a sugar addict that 's coming from that as well um, you know it 's even got um, like parkinson 's and alzheimer 's related issues as well there 's and, there's, and I, I guess where I'm going with this is that there's so much data and there's so much research out there, and it's at the end of the day, it really comes into energy in, energy out for a lot of people. Why is it that as a society, do you feel like we just haven't opened up to this pandemic or this epidemic that's going on and has been going on since the 50s and 60s inside of the U.S.? Why is this not mainstream yet? Is there just too much money in keeping these people sick? Is it the farm... Pharma- Is it the food industries that would just completely crumble and people are worried about not having access to healthy food? Like, like what is it that's really preventing us as a society to take those bigger leaps out there and to get healthy across the board?
0: Yeah, there's, there's far more money in keeping you sick period. That is the answer. They don't want you to be healthy. Um, that I was reading a stat you can go Google this, but it was like for every dollar that you spend on preventative medicine, um, Saves you five and a half dollars in reactive healthcare, right? Which is going to the doctor, etc So, they they would literally lose five hundred percent of their income to to be more preventative, which doesn't make any sense to them, right? Like if I was if I was McDonald's, I wouldn't care, right? Like if I was Pfizer, I. I don't want you to be healthy. I want you to get sick. So you have to take this drug. I want you to be fat. So you have to take metformin. I want you to, you know what? Like there's, I want you to be on insulin. I want you to be on this. I want you to be on that. I want you to be on antidepressants. I want you to be on all of these drugs. When in reality, if you just got off your ass, were are outside for 45 minutes walking and just ate less shit. You'd probably be okay. Right? Like, and most people don't understand that they're the, the heart, us surgeon general or the heart, heart, something like some big word that I'm supposed to know, but I don't, um, they pretty much came out and said, you know, if you're doing 90 minutes of activity a week, uh, it can lower your heart, your risk of heart disease and heart attack by up to 90%. Uh-huh. So like, it, it's almost no actual effort to just go out and move and sweat. Like, you know what I'm saying? and ju- And just not eat so crappy, right? Like, It's not necessarily that most people, and most people don't eat with the intention that they want to be out of shape and fat, right? Like most people don't go to the fridge and say, Hey, what would make me fatter? Like they want to make good choices. They just don't understand that most of the time they're eating too many calories because they're eating calorically dense foods, not nutritionally dense foods. And for our clients, like when we do our six week programs, one of the biggest things that we have is, so we have a food list, right. That they can pick from based on proteins, carbs, fats, et cetera. But the the thing that they always say the first two weeks is, I can't eat all this food. I'm so full. like And most people, when they think of losing weight, they think, man, I'm hungry all the time. And really, the difference is, is we're just having them eating nutritionally dense versus calorically dense. And magically, they can eat way more of the nutritionally dense foods to the point where like they're not hungry. And if you can get people to literally go, oh, I got to eat again. Instead of, man, I'm so hungry. Like it's amazing. And then they go, dude, there's no way I'm gonna and then you step on the scale and oh my God, I lost eight pounds in the first two weeks. Well, yeah, seven of it was probably poop. But like, you know, like, but the rest of it, like we we're gonna get your body going to where it's supposed to go. And you'd be amazed how simple it is when you just switch that little thing.
1: I found, so I've, I've been on my own weight loss journey, um, coming out of college, I was close, I was over 300, but I would teeter back and forth along that line. Um, and it wasn't until I broke up or I had a girlfriend and I kind of lose our relationship where I was like, man, I'm really, I'm really not where I want to be. And I had the data. I I'm very scientifically minded. So it's not that this was a foreign concept, but I, I found that I was just buying the wrong stuff. And keeping it in my house, and it's exactly what you were talking about—just keeping the wrong foods available. And for me, what I found was when I'm when I feel my glucose levels drop, was when I would make my bad decisions. And we're seeing more and more research around that is that when people get hungry, their decision-making process goes way haywire—that they don't think clearly. A different part of their brain activates, and the logical part just goes straight out the window. And all they want to do is just jump to something that's give them give them that instant refuel as opposed to eating more regularly, putting your eating on a calendar, making sure that you're scheduled with what you're doing. And it kind of leads into what we started off about, which is systems in your life that help you scale, right? Or that help you get to that next level. I found that I was lacking structure and routine around food just as much as I was anything else in my life. And that contributed to stress eating and the weight gain and everything else that went along with it.
0: Well, the biggest problem, because again, we deal with mainly um, you know, clients who have 20 or more pounds to lose, right? Like that's kind of our yeah. our niche. And that's why we developed, you know, like our, our weight products, we developed them around flavor first, right? So they're ultra high quality, they're ultra clean, but at the end of the day, they're they're flavor first, right? And so the reason is is most people know, oh man, well, they say like, oh, it's a chocolate shake, like, but it tastes like cardboard, right? Like that's right. not a chocolate shake. So we wanted to create products where like the number one cause of our, co- or where our clients struggle the most is late night eating, mm-hmm. right? Cause we keep data on this and we know that. So if we can give them something at night that tastes like they're cheating, but is still going to keep them in the realm of where they want to be. And it fixes that, that, um, uh, just that, um, uh, issue that they're having with their brain, that's telling them I need something sweet, and we can give them something sweet. So their brain goes, Oh, yes, I'm satisfied. Um, It's amazing how fast just that one thing changes, right? Because most people, I think if you ask them, you know, where do you struggle with, right, there's really two areas where most people struggle with when it comes to making poor nutritional decisions. And that's at lunch, if they have a certain amount of time for lunch, right? It's because, oh, I've got 30 minutes for lunch. And I haven't eaten yet and I'm super hungry and I didn't bring anything with me. So it's a drive-through, right? Like there's a reason that McDonald's is still a massive company, right? People go there, right? Like, so you guys can say you don't, but you do or they'd be out of business. So <laughs> you got to understand that that's why fast food works is because it gives you that. The problem is it's calorically dense, right? Like you get a big Mac and fries. I could eat six of that. Right. But that would, it's like 1200 calories just for the one big Mac and fries. So if you eat six of those, You're at 7,200 calories. Unless you're running a marathon that night, you're not going to burn off all that stuff. So if we can get people to figure out their lunch and then late night eating or bored eating, those are the two at night. Those are the two biggest things. If we can control those two times, most people don't start their day wanting to make poor choices. So we don't really have to worry about that. They want to get better. They wouldn't be with us, right? So it's where the biggest pain points, and then we just try to address those with every individual person.
1: That's great, man. I'm so happy there's people like you out in the world because we need more killers and more savages just like you. Um, we are wrapping up here. I I wanted to ask one final question, um, which is where do you find happiness in your life and how did you get there?
0: Um. Dude, to be honest, uh, that that's still a struggle for me. Um, probably the the one thing over the last couple of years that I can say for sure um, is since my son was born in uh, November of last year. Um, it doesn't really matter how bad of a day I've had when it's time to take him to bed and put him down. Um, you know, those... 30 seconds from walking him from the living room to his bedroom, putting him down, putting his blanket on him, telling him I love him and closing his door. Uh, Nothing else matters in those 30 seconds. And so there's days where for me, I just want to get to that, right? Like no matter what I'm going, it doesn't matter how angry I am. It doesn't matter what crap I'm going through. It doesn't matter if it was a good day or a bad day or a deal fell through or a deal signed. That's to me, that's, that's my thing, right? So as long as I get to do that, that's my thing. The other thing that really I've learned when I start to get out of out of the state of mind that I need to be in to be a, a good human and to do the things that I need to do is what I've learned is the outdoor workout of, of 75 hard. If I, if I do, even if you're not on the program, I don't care. But as long as in the middle of the day, like if you feel yourself getting there, right? Like you, your body can control your emotion level too. And so just going out and and moving and and getting that body moving for 30, 45 minutes in the afternoon, like, you know, to break up the monotony i found really, for me, at least does a massive amount of benefit mentally more than physically. I don't really care about the physical part of it at all, but the clarity, the creativity, the rejuvenation of just like, as soon as we're off this podcast, that's literally what I'm going to go do because my morning's just, my mouth has not stopped moving this entire morning. So I'm excited to put my headphones on, uh, just turn on some music and just walk and just let my brain go and let my body reset and get that motion going so that, you know, they say motion leads to emotion, right? So just that positive movement forward of what my afternoon's going to look like, what the second half of my day is going to look like, what I'm trying to get out of it before I get to that point where I go get my kids. Right. So I, I think it's not necessarily about what makes you, you know, I think happiness for a lot of people is a fleeting emotion, right? Like it's not long term mm-hmm. and they chase it. And and I don't think it's realistic to be happy all the time. I just don't. I don't think I don't think anyone who's actually happy would say that they're happy all the time. So I think it's it's about knowing when you're going down that emotional path of going away from happiness or gratitude into a darker place or or a place that doesn't serve you having triggers that can get you out. And for me, that trigger is just walking in the afternoon. If I feel that now, do I do it every day? Um, Sunday was the first day I've missed in like 150 straight days, but literally that that's just my thing. It, It gets my body moving. It resets my mindset. And so if you guys are looking for a great tool um, it's scientifically proven to do that, by the way. So that's why I do it. I don't do it just because, oh, it magically works for me. It's scientifically proven that if you get your body moving, get that heart rate up a little bit, especially if you're have a, a you in like a place with some sunlight, get that sunlight hitting on you. Um, you're just in a better mood. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It can be 15, 20 just to get your body moving and that that mindset reset. But make sure you're out there with a purpose too, right? If that's going to be your trigger, the goal is at the end of that movement, to be in a better mental state. So make sure you're thinking about things that are going to put you there. You're looking at things you can do to make you feel like the day was a good day and a win. And I think as long as you're doing those things and and in your mind, you're checking off the boxes. I I think that's probably the most you can hope for.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for being here today, man. Um, Where do you want to push people um, and, and how can they learn more about everything that you're involved with?
0: Yeah. So um, if you want to learn about, again, the, the Kids Lives Matter charity, just projectklm.com. That, that'll that take you there. Obviously, uh, if you follow me on, on Instagram, it's probably the best place. It's where I'm the most uh, responsive. Um, my Facebook list is full. So message requests, typically I don't ever get seen or notified that they come in and I don't really like to check them because it's a lot of just nasty things. Um, but Instagram, I'm typically very active on. Um, so if you need me on there for any reason, and obviously my link tree, on my Instagram will take you to any of my books, any of my companies, anything that we're doing. So everything's right on there. It's super easy. And if um, there's ever anything that I can do for your questions that you have, especially on health and fitness or whatever, I'm always there to, to answer those for people. I know some people are surprised that I answer them back, but you know, you, you don't build what I'm trying to build by thinking that you're better than people. You build it with people and, that, and you can only do that one person at a time. So it's never an inconvenience if I ended up helping you.
1: Guys, and if you if you do follow Aaron, I'll promise you one thing. You're going to get a lot of laughs because your IG stories, dude, every time I click, you're like, because I've engaged and talked with you a lot in the last few months, uh, your stories are always some of the ones that pop up the first for me. And they're, they're always just fucking hilarious. And, and most of the time, it's the honest truth that nobody wants to hear, but that everybody needs to hear. And that's one of the things I appreciate about you, man.
0: Yeah. Especially when they take advantage of the mini muffins, man. That was like, when I saw that one the other day of the, they're like the whole truck and they're like, I bet you there's only 26 muffins in that whole truck. And I was like, Yeah, yeah. they used to get me with that all the time growing up.
1: Oh man. What a good way to end it. Aaron, thank you so much for being here today, man. We'll catch you later. All right, buddy. See ya. Cool, man. We're good to go.